especially on a flat floor that is supposed to be polished and have a real nice finish on it. It goes all through the night sometimes. And, and there was one particular time where I was uh, finishing a floor. It was up by Wainwright, out in the middle of nowhere. It was an industrial job on a gas plant. And so, you know, it had to be polished really smooth. This, and it was like we were finishing about 3 o'clock in the morning. I can remember it was a beautiful night. Out there in the middle of nowhere, it's so dark. You just see just billions of stars in the sky. And I was out there, and I was just running this machine, and it's, you know, like, it's amazing, and it's hard to imagine at this time of the year you can be outside with just a T-shirt on. And I was out there, and I was running this power trail, and uh, if you're wondering what a power trail is, this is, what, this is my sons, they're running, both each running a power trail on this particular job, and I was running one of these machines, and I was just uh, running this machine, and I was just worshiping God. And I don't remember if there were others. There was probably others working with me because generally didn't go on to those kinds of sites at 3 in the morning by yourself. But I was worshiping God. I couldn't hear myself. I knew they couldn't hear me if, they were, if there was anybody there. But, but, you know, as I'm worshiping God and I'm running this machine, all of a sudden I hear the Lord speak to me. And uh, I can remember it just as if it was yesterday. And, and he says, you know, the Lord, he says, Mark, he says, I'm calling you to call my people out of Egypt. And then the reason I'm telling you this little story here is because, uh, you know, and this caused me to take the word and look at this, okay, God calling his people out of Egypt and what that was all about. And as I read this story, it was amazing to me. I couldn't help but notice, and I still, as I read it, it's an, really an amazing story of how successful God's people were as they come into the promised land and how that they were just extremely victorious. The only time they, they didn't have victory were the only two times they didn't pray and, um, and asking God for instruction, but they had incredible victories in their life. And something else that amazed me just as much was that how that they went from being so successful to eventually they, were, they went right back into slavery and into bondage as the Babylonians took them into captivity after this period. You know, today we are the spiritual Israel in the earth. And when the Apostle Paul addresses the Galatian church in his letter to them, he addresses them as the churches in Galatia. And the Greek word for churches here is ecclesia, and it means called out ones. As a church, the spiritual Israel, we are the called out ones. We're called out from the world. We're in it, but we're not of it. And Jesus said, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. And as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. There really is little, if anything, that is more important for us to be teaching our kids than this truth, that we are in this world, but we're not of it. And I want to talk this morning, I want to be talking about how do we make that happen in our kids? How do we keep our kids from drifting? Because they say that 80% of kids that go to church walk away from the church. And why is that? We're going to be having a baby dedication in the next service. And a baby dedication is just the perfect service to... Uh, challenge us with our responsibility as parents to be extremely intentional about doing our part in helping our kids to know the Lord and to know how to walk or learn how to walk with Him and to hear Him and, and have a relationship with Him. And being the called out ones does not mean that we're 
coming out of the world and hiding in behind these walls. That's not what it's saying at all. The church is not just something that we do on Sunday mornings. It's who we are. Jesus is making it, he makes it very clear in his word that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. Mark Galley, in his book, Stopping Spiritual Drift, he says that we evangelicals have been adept at ad- uh, adapting to culture. We have not always been able to retain the critical distance from it, being in the world but not of it. See, the culture does not set the standard for us, the church, for God's people. God sets our standard for us. And this is what we're going to be seeing in the scriptures this morning is how vital it is for us as parents and grandparents to be speaking the truth to this next generation. Grandparents and parents and as the body of Christ for all of us to be speaking truth to this generation that's coming up behind us. We have an opportunity to make such an impact in this next generation and the generation after those guys. If we make enough of an impact on the next generation... They're going to be making an impact on the one after them and the one after them. These scriptures that we use in the child dedication instruct us very clearly on how to go about doing this. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commands that I give you, are to be today, uh, give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk to them, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Our kids need to learn, and we need to learn as parents how to teach our kids that the Lord is one, that there's only one God. Like that sounds kind of like, okay, to the world who know no difference or have no idea that there is one God. There's one Jesus who died on the cross, came back to life, sent the Holy Spirit to come and live within us. And only until you've had the Holy Spirit come and live within you, do you understand that? Scripture says that the word is spiritually discerned. And only when the Holy Spirit, the Father from heaven, is living within you, can you understand what that is. And so, you know, you can understand how the world would think, well, who do you think you are? Then there's only one way. But there is only one way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. God expects us to love him with all of our hearts, all of our soul, and all of our strength. And this is not about doing more. That's another thing. That's not what God is saying about doing more. I've got to do more. I've got to do more. It's got nothing to do with doing more. It's more about stopping And letting God be God in your life. Being honest with yourself and letting God be God. It might not be happening the way that we expect it to happen. Let God be God. We cannot tell our kids how important it is to love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And they don't see that happening in our lives as parents or grandparents or neighbors. This is so important. You know, it says... Impress them upon your children. Impress these commands on our kids to do the right things. Jesus, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. You know, impress these upon our kids. My brother-in-law, he's a lawyer down in Calgary. A big lawyer, and I don't mean fat. (laughs) 
He works for a government agency, catching people that are trying to cheat the systems. When I got licensed here about 15 years ago, he gave me a, a seal. He asked me, you know, like he come out when I was licensed, and, and uh, the gift he gave me was a seal. It's a steel thing where you take your page and you make an imprint on a legal document, and it makes the, the imprint in the paper that can't be taken out. And it's a neat thing because it's got my name in the center and it's got my favorite text of Hebrews 4.16 on it. And so in all of my books in my office, that print, instead of writing my name, I've got that seal on the inside of the covers. I like that thing. <laughs> but uh, when it says to impress the commands on the hearts of our children, what it's saying is impress them into their hearts. It says that we're to make it stick. We're to imprint the truth of who God is and what he's done to the point that it becomes a part of their very DNA. It's who they are. And it's to be so much a part of who we as parents are that we are commanded to talk about it when we, when we uh, sit at home. We talk about it when we walk along the road. We talk about it when we lie down. We talk about it when we get up. That's like talking about it all the time. And we need to walk with God like that. If we don't have anything to talk about with our kids about what God's doing in our lives, I think we need to stop and say, okay, Lord, and ask him, okay, Lord, what's your will? What do you want me to do? You know, and, and get into his word and pray and start stepping out by faith and doing exactly what he's doing. It might not be what you want to do. It might not be what you like. It might not be comfortable, but do it. Then you'll have something to talk about with your kids. Because you'll be amazed. You'll be thinking, wow, why didn't I do this sooner? You know, we've got to talk about the realities of what God is doing with your family. And, and we need to talk about with our kids, our grandkids together. And uh, we need to pray together. We need to talk about the prayers that we're praying. Are they being answered? See, I think that's where we stumble up a bit and we're, we're afraid for, we pray for our kids or we have our kids, we pray for them to be healed and, oh, they didn't experience healing right there. So then we think, oh, we're hesitant. If our prayers aren't being answered, we need to talk to them about why maybe they're not being answered and maybe they're being answered but they're not being answered the way that we felt like they should be answered. Maybe the way we thought they should be answered but, you know, if you really look, these prayers do get answered. When you look back, it's amazing. These prayers do get answered. But it's so good for us to talk to our kids about it. If they are being answered, we need to rejoice together and bringing to each other's attention when these prayers are being answered. And if we're working and talking and living with our kids like this, they're going to be coming to you about their friends. They need to pray for their friends. Grab their hands and agree with them for the salvation of their friends. Help them and instruct them. How can we see your friend come to be saved? Because we do our part, God will do his part. And when it comes to winning our friends and neighbors to Christ, God wants to do that. And as I was sitting in my office this morning, Brenda, I prayed with the guys this morning, and then uh, Rob Schneider, he's working down in the children's wing here all morning, all three services. And he told Brenda that I was going to be talking about the family here, and she come down and she talked to me, and she said, could you just remind everybody that they're doing in the portables at 1.30 today, they're doing, uh, it's called Knowing God. And 
families together, devotion stands, equipping parents and grandparents to be able to pray together with their kids and to share things with their kids. They're doing all kinds of little things that sort of uh, bring this on, and it's, it's amazing. You know, like Brenda, children's church pastor, equipping the kids to do the work of the ministry. And uh, I want to encourage, if you've got grandkids in the church uh, and, and your kids in the church, be there. And take advantage of this and allow yourself to be equipped to communicate with each other as a family. Because that is what we're all about. And we need to do that for our kids' sake. And as we pray for our kids, we pray for uh, their unsaved loved ones. We pray for their healing, for our healing. Have them join us with that. And the salvation of their friends. You know... As we're doing this and we're sort of, we're hesitant because we don't see instant answers to our prayer, but if we just would uh, allow God to work in his way, his time, read his word and talk to our kids about it, and you know, we have questions, they have questions, and, and it's okay. And it's okay to let your kids feel like it's okay to have questions. We don't have all the answers. But in the meantime, God is going to show up in some pretty incredible ways because he's going to show you exactly what you need to see and them, exactly what they need to see when they need to see it. And we just need the faith to believe that. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word. Years ago, uh, my, I got a phone call late at night, and it was a phone call from my mom saying that my grandpa had a massive heart attack and that they didn't think that he was going to live long. And then so uh, I called the kids, and because it was bedtime, I called the kids into our room, and we... And, uh, we come up into bed with us, and I, I told them that grandpa, their great-grandpa had a heart attack, a massive heart attack, and that it didn't look like he was going to live much longer. And he's not a Christian, and we need to pray that he gives his life to Jesus and makes Jesus Lord of his life. And uh, I told my... Or, uh, so we sat there together in a, this little huddle, holding our hands, and we claimed grandpa. Like, I prayed, and I claimed him. To the kingdom in Jesus' name. And I just took authority over the powers of darkness and the blindness and the deafness. And I tore it down and I just said, thank you, Jesus, by faith for saving his soul. And then the next day or so, he was tied. He was sitting in a wheelchair and he was tied into the wheelchair so he wouldn't fall out of it. And he was just hunched over. It was amazing how it affected him. But just hunched over. And my mom took him. He, he was... Uh, he probably learned in the army how to play the harmonicas, but uh, he, the mouth organs, and he played them, and he really played them well. And, uh, and, and the reason I just about missed, the reason that I knew that he wasn't a Christian is because one afternoon I was over at their place, and I was in the kitchen visiting with my grandma, and we were talking about the things of the church and the things of the Lord because I had just started pastoring here at the church, and so she was always curious about what was going on and what that looked like. And she was a, a Lutheran grandma, and uh, she wore her Bibles out, uh, praying them and spending time in them. But uh, as uh, I'm at her place and we're visiting, and my grandpa's just walking by the kitchen table, and as he's walking by, he hears me say the name Jesus. He stops, and he looks at me, and he says, don't ever say that name in this house again. And he just, he jumped. He literally jumped up and down, and he was so angry. And uh, I probably should have said, in the name of Jesus, come out of him, <laughs> because it was crazy how mad he got. And then he carried on like nothing happened and got his tea and went back into the living room. And, and uh, so he's in this wheelchair. He's, he's strapped in there. My mom takes his mouth organs. She's just curious if he could still play them. He took it and he played on it and he played How Great Thou Art three times. 
tears running down his face. And uh, he died shortly after that. And uh, just think what that did for the faith of my kids. You know, like it, it made an impact on me. But, you know, it was a settled thing in my heart. I felt like when we prayed that prayer that night that there was just, like, there was just no acceptance. I didn't need to see anything. I just thought, I'm going to see my grandpa in heaven. But just think what it did to the boys. It, you know, it establishes that, hey, God is real. And, you know, it becomes so real in their lives. We were here at fasting and prayer, and I had my boys. I phoned them up. I was in here praying that afternoon because uh, I was leading the Tuesday night. So I was praying, and as I'm praying, I just got this brainwave to phone my boys. We've never done it. I phoned my boys and, and see if they would come in and pray with Karen and I and told them what was going on. And the first one went to Nathan. I sent him a text, and he goes, not happening. <laughs> and uh, I said, why not? He said, I just got home. And I said, what's that got to do with it? <laughs> A conversation went on, and then I texted his brother and, and uh, Jabin, and he says, oh, that sounds great. He says, I'll talk to Krista. And I said, text your brother while you're at it. <laughs> and then, so they were both here on the Tuesday of the fasting and prayer, and we had a great prayer time with them. But we're praying, and uh, Karen prays for them and, them and their jobs and you know, what they're doing in life. And, and uh, Nathan, right now, he's working down south in North Dakota, and like he's down for a month and home for a week. And I hate seeing him be away from home. But uh, so Karen's praying for them and blessing them and, you know, praying that they're successful in their jobs, which I'm saying amen to. But and then I'm saying, then I start to pray and I say, God, I say, Lord, I pray that with Nathan going south and with Jabin and his job, I pray your will be done, Lord. If that's what you want them doing, I pray that that's what they do. I pray, Lord God, if that's not your will that they, that, Nathan's down south or Jabin's at Belmoral. I pray, Lord, that you would just make, make your moves. And then at the end of the prayer night, Nathan says, he says, that was really a great evening. He says, I thought it would be a little awkward, but he said it was really good. He says, but I didn't like you praying God's will for me going down south. <laughs> because he knew that if God didn't want him going to south, south he probably something's going to happen where he's not going to be able to go down there. And he knew that because there was a time he had one of those... R1 motorbikes, and at the time, it was the fastest crotch rocket bike that they had out there. If I'd have known that, I would not have let him buy it. I would have done everything I could do to not let him buy it, but he was, he had a little pack of six, and they were always riding and going out into the country and stunting and stuff out by Costco, and, uh, and then, but, he, you know, I, I heard him say, you know, the front wheel come down at 180 kilometers an hour one time, and he flew by me. I was doing 100 and 10, <laughs> 110, 120 on the four lane, and he flew by me on his back wheel. I, I just about had a heart attack. And I saw him, and I said, okay, Nathan, I said, I'm going to pray that God takes your license, that you lose your license on this bike. He said, if, if, if that's what it's going to take to settle you down. And then it wasn't, man, it was very soon after that, he, got, he lost his license. <laughs> and then the, the funniest thing is, they give you 30 days to hand your license in. He lost it again before they took it away. And so he lost his license for a year. And so, like, that happened. And when we're praying God's will and he sees this, like, he knows God answers prayer. So when you're praying and you pray, God, your will be done. If it's not your will, he goes self. He thinks, ugh. Because <laughs> he wants to do his thing. He wants to do what he thinks is right. But praise God, you know, he knows. And... Our kids need to know. They need to know that the Lord is real. 
and that he wants to move in our lives. And we have to be the ones to make the effort. You know, we have to be intentional about moving towards God. It's the only way that anything is going to happen if we be intentional. So, you know, it's, it, we're not unlike farmers in the sense that when he plows the field, now this is just a, I miss, where did I go? Have I been pushing this button and not knowing it? Or not pushing it and not knowing it? This is, an, this is a farmer like in a third world country, and he's planting one seed at a time. I was going to put a big tractor up there. But we're not unlike this, where we, you know, plow and we seed, we fertilize and we cultivate, and all the while knowing that the final analysis is utterly, de- we're dependent on the forces outside of himself, the farmer, and us. He sows, and he cannot cause the seed to germinate, nor can he produce the rain or sunshine for growing the harvest and harvesting the crop. Whether the farmer knows it or not, uh, a successful harvest is dependent on the things from God. And yet the farmer knows that unless he diligently takes care of his responsibilities to plow, plant, fertilize, and cultivate, he cannot expect the harvest at the end of the season. And in a sense, he is in a partnership with God, and he will reap its benefits only when he's fulfilled his responsibilities. See, the farmer cannot go and do what God must do, and God will not do what the farmer's done. And I'm saying all of this to just as, to say that this is accurately with us in learning how to walk with the Lord and to fellowship with him and to be obedient to what he's asking of us and to really have a discernment. Okay, is this you? Is this me? Is this the enemy? Apart from God, we can't do this. You know, like without God doing a work in each one of our lives, we can't see this happen. None of us can attain any degree of relationship with a perfect creator apart from God drawing us to himself. But just assuredly, none of us will attain it without a serious effort on our own part. We have to do the walking. God's made it possible for us to walk with him. But he's also given us the responsibility to do the walking. He doesn't do that for us. So it's a choice that we continually have to make. It seems like moment by moment, day by day, you know, we're making these choices to choose to do the right thing. Because we know the right thing to do when there's a decision to be made. Romans 8 says that we either have our mind set on the things that the Holy Spirit, and if we have our mind set on the things of the Holy Spirit, if that's where our focus is at, then we tend to lean to the things of God. But it also says that if we have our mind set on what the sinful nature desires, we're sort of leaning that way. It's only one or the other for us. We see an example of the choice to be made in Genesis in the story of Cain and Abel. God knew that Cain was mad, was angry about what he was requiring of him, and Cain didn't want to do it God's way. He wanted to do it his own way. And it says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you but you must rule over it. This is where we're going in this message here this morning. We're, walk, we're talking, uh, taking a look at God's people 
as they're entering into the promised land and, and we're seeing how they did not pay attention to the sin that was crouching at their door and the desire it had to have them. They didn't pay any attention to it. These people in the Old Testament, as they're coming into the promised land, they're enjoying every blessing that God had spoken that they would receive. They were prospering. They were successful in every way. And like Israel at this time and Cain at his time and we in our time, we need to realize that we need to be intentionally trying and working at doing the right thing before God. Israel was enjoying success in every way. They were setting their, every, everything that they were setting their hands to do. They were uh, walking in fellowship and obedience to God and they were as they were moving into the promised land. And here are some of the blessings that they were experiencing that were promised to them and that they were experiencing and living. Moses was saying to them just before uh, he died, he said that if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow the commands, all the commands that I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come to you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the, cro- and, uh, the crops of your land will be blessed. Uh, the crops of your land, the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will not or will be defeated before you. They will come at you in one direction and scatter from you or flee from you in seven. And I don't know about you, but like when I read these verses, like this is like we're the spiritual Israel. God wants to bless his people. God wants to uh, have his people like our light shining amongst our community and them knowing that, hey, you know, we know who we are in Christ Jesus. And that's, you know, and that settles it. It's that's where our security lies. And uh, we're all the spirit being the spiritual Israel. Uh, Israel, like you'd think of this atmosphere that must have been going on at this time as they're coming into the promised land and God moving in their midst and leading them and opening up the land before them as they're going in. It must have been like a revival kind of an atmosphere. There must have been a party after every victory. You know, it had to be quite a celebration going on in their midst. And then the crazy thing is that as exciting as this should have been or probably was at, at some point, we see that things aren't quite as they seem in, in the end of it or as they're probably about halfway into the promised land to what they were to take. Because it says in uh, Judges chapter 2, 1, 2, and 3 here, it says, The angel of the Lord went up to Gilgal from Bochum and said, I brought you from Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Like, that is amazing. God promises he will never break his covenant with them. And you shall not make a covenant with the people in this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I have also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. The creator of the universe... He's made himself known to these people beyond a shadow of a doubt. He's as real as the person standing right beside them. And they were experiencing every good thing from God in every possible way. And the people, um, the people served the Lord 
throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. They were all faithful until this last generation of elders had passed away, and then we see that a change takes place. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Like, I don't understand how really does that happen. When you see such incredible victory going on, and all of a sudden another generation grows up who neither knew the Lord or what he had done for Israel. They were seeing God move in miraculous ways, establishing them as a nation, and God was placing them far above all the other nations, and he was doing it with ease. They were experiencing the blessings of God, and, and God said the blessings would overtake them. And it says that a generation grew up that neither knew the Lord nor knew what he had done for Israel. Like, how is that possible? It happened because they did not deal with the sin that was crouching at their door. And God, in the book of Judges, we see that God turned his back, or they turned their backs on the God, on, they turned their backs on God and they started to worship the, the gods of their enemies. Sin was crouching at the, do at the doors. It desired to have them, and they took all that was happening around them. They took it for granted, and they got careless. God had been moving in such amazing ways, showing these people such favor in every ways, and they experienced amazing deliverance and freedom. They were taken from slavery and bondage, wretched life, to freedom, peace of mind, and peace of heart. And they were experiencing prosperity in every way in their lives, standing in victory over every enemy because they knew who they were as a nation before God. As Judges goes on, it's a, there's a cycle that takes place. And it, it's, I know it's small, but take out your binoculars. <laughs> it says up there, after a period of peace... The people provoked God. And then God raises up an oppressor. The people cry out to God for help. God raises a judge to deliver the people, and they experience a period of peace. And this went on for a, a number of years, and each time they went around this cycle, they never did come back up. But really, there's another diagram that I had that I deleted, and I thought, oh, I won't have time to do this. I wish I would have left it on there, but... It goes down like this, you know, and, and I've noticed that over, like, in, in the days gone by, that as I'm reading the Word, or as I think I noticed it more as I'm listening to it when I'm sleeping, actually, but this, there's a theme in, in the Scripture, and I noticed that it's like God's people, they just, at the time when they were coming into the Promised Land, were at a peak of obedience and experiencing God-like, you know, that I don't think people have experienced Him since you know, outside of Jesus. But at that time, it was, that was a pinnacle moment for them that God was right there. And then from then on, it was like they went down. It's like they come up, they experience them, and then they went down. And, they, and every time they went down, they would repent, but they'd never come back up to where they were. And this is kind of a little bit of a cycle in our lives, in a sense. You know, we are enjoying a time of peace. And then God rises up an oppressor. We feel like all of a sudden some pressures start coming in our lives. And if we don't pay attention to it, you know, like it can really put us into bondage. But then it's, 
you know, as we experience this pressure and it gets strong enough, we turn to God and we ask God for help. And as we ask God to help, God has sent us our deliverer, who is Jesus. Praise God for Jesus today. That we don't have this, the Old Testament cycle that was very physical and it was downward. They went right down into bondage as, and Babylonian, Babylonia comes, takes them captive for the 70 years that we read about in the book of Daniel. You know, like it's, a, it's an amazing thing that they can go from here back into slavery. Out of slavery, experiencing God in such powerful ways. And I think that it all comes down to that the heart is deceitfully wicked and beyond cure. And when we come to realize that, we just, you know, it's about as hopeless as it gets. But then it's but Jesus. God sent a Savior for us because he knows we're not capable of staying here. And so as we experience this cycle and we provoke God, like we, life gets busy with our kids in hockey, with our kids in many things, and with our jobs, with our relationships. Like there's so many things that, that we can and do put between us and God. And so as that begins to happen and we start to experience these outward pressures, we call out to God for help, and in his grace, in his mercy, he comes through. But, you know, we don't want to get used to that cycle because I think that every time we do this cycle, like, like this, I think that I don't know if we can avoid this cycle in one, pers- one respect, but, you know, that scripture, search my heart, O God, Psalm 139, and see if there be any wicked way in me. We need to, and ask God to lead us in the paths that are right. You know, that's where we need to be. We need to be in that attitude of prayer all the time because I don't know that it, I don't think it's possible to not provoke God as far as to get things get in the way. It's a broken world. We we have broken lives. We live in by grace. Praise God for that. But as we keep an attitude of prayer, keep short accounts because there's no room for offense in the kingdom of God. And that's one we got to work on. Like, wow, because there's always things to get offended about but we're to keep short accounts. And so when we find the pressure coming, praise God, we come to him and he's, you know, he's there for us. And then it's a process, okay, Lord. And what I do in, in these seasons is when I feel the pressure coming on, generally, you know, I'll take and I'll do a season of fasting and praying. And, and I love the passing, fasting and prayer times that we have because it helps us to, to put God where he belongs in our lives. And it's really a way where we deny our flesh. It's just an awful thing to do, that fasting sometimes. It's so hard. But when we do it, it's, you know, it humbles the soul. So in our cycle of life here, you know, we're all in a different place. And I want to say that you know, if we're at the place where we have provoked God, he's put pressure on us, and we've just, we feel like we're in a hopeless place, there's no such place with God. Because Jesus paid an incredible price. It says that he was beat beyond recognition for us, for our, the sin that we commit. And, you know, you feel like there's no hope because I've committed the unpardonable sin. If you care that you committed the unpardonable sin, there's hope. If you don't care, well, there's, there's hope, hopefully. But there's always hope. You know, we are a fallen nature, and praise God. Let's stand.
The Holy Spirit is in this place, and that's the amazing thing. Like, he's mingling through here. You've all got your thoughts, good, bad, or otherwise, and he's speaking to you. And I want to really encourage you not to just take it and just say, oh, you know, that was good, that was bad, that was really ugly. But I want you to take it and say, okay, Lord, what are you saying to me? Maybe you know exactly what he's saying to you. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it for granted. You know, like... Sin is crouching at the door and it desires to have each one of us. Sin is crouching at the door and it desires to have our kids. And they need to learn that. And they need to know that. And we need to learn as parents how to teach them that. And so as we put God in his place in our lives, the kids will know it. They'll see it. As we step out and do the things and say the things and react the way that God is expecting us to, our kids will see it. And we need to share these things, our struggles with our kids Families that have squabbles and fights, is not a, that's not a wrong thing or a bad thing. That's just life happening. And our kids need to see us in the midst of that. They see it, but they need to see us making up and carrying on our struggles with them. It's never the end. You know, and we need to see it all as just life happening and just keep coming together. And uh, having Jesus asking for his mercy and his grace to keep walking us through, and he is faithful. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, and uh, he will move in your life as much as you let him. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to allow you to to work in our lives, Lord God. I pray for all of our kids in this congregation that... Uh, that they would be drawn to you, that they would learn, Lord God, what it means to serve you, to walk with you, and to communicate with you, that they would hear your voice, Father. Lord, I pray for all the parents and the grandparents, and and I pray, Lord God, that uh, just as a body and as a family, that we would look out for each other's kids. This next generation, Lord, we just pray that they would serve you with their whole heart. I pray that they would make us look like sleepers, that they would be so on fire for you and the things of your spirit. I pray that they would be a generation that would take this thing to a whole new level, Father God, because they're serving you in such a dynamic, powerful way with all of their hearts. And as parents, Lord, we need to nurture that in them. Give us the wisdom on how to do that. Uh, pray for every lost loved one, Lord God. I pray, Father, that as families we would agree in prayer with our kids, Lord God, and we would talk about your kingdom when we're lying down, when we're waking up. Our questions, I pray, we would even ask our kids, what do you think? Like, I'm not sure about this. Bless your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you go.